0: Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 7 today. We're continuing our series on the miracles of Jesus because we believe that Jesus still works miracles. Anybody beside Pastor Linda believe that today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Luke chapter 7. I want to ask you to pray. Remember to pray uh, for me this week. I'll be uh, going to Ghana, West Africa, for one week be there. Um, our coordinator, our, our executive coordinator for global leadership training West Africa has been elected to the position of the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Ghana. So I'm going to be going there to uh, be a part of his installation. And uh, need your prayers just as we travel. We do ministry. We're doing some leadership training there as well. Amen. All right. Who's going to pray for me? Anybody? All right. Thank you. All right, so Luke chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, this centurion, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do This was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now there's power in that. Affirmation right there. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go and he goes, and to another, Come and he comes, and to my servant, Do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He was amazed and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Hallelujah. Today, I want to talk to you about a faith that amazes God. Faith, could you imagine having such faith that it amazes even God? So let me provide a little context here. There are several key figures in this story. First, we have Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. Who is he? Some say that he's a teacher. Others say, he's well, he's a rabbi. Some will say, well, he's Jesus. He's one of the many ways to get to God. And let's face it, most people today uh, will say that they're some kind of a Christian, especially here in the U.S., Everyone will say, most everyone will say they love Jesus as long as they say they love Jesus as long as you do not declare or specify or define exactly who he is. If you say that Jesus was a teacher or or a rabbi or even a prophet, well, that's perfectly acceptable. The Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Even atheists will accept that Jesus was a teacher or a rabbi. Muslims, Buddhists, even people that you work with are happy to say that Jesus was a prophet or a healer or one of the many ways to God. But the moment that you say, well, Jesus was not, is not one of the many ways to God, Jesus is God incarnate, the only way to God, for he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The moment you say that, you will be called a bigot, a fascist, a racist, an extremist. You will be Hated, you will be attacked, but that is exactly what we see in this Scripture. Jesus, fully God, fully man, has revealed himself as the Savior of the world, but more than that, as a Savior who responds to those who earnestly seek him in sincere faith. And then we have, in this story, the elders of the Jews who came to see Jesus. Now these were different than the Pharisees that we're familiar with, probably elders from a local synagogue, and they were sent to Jesus uh, by a Roman centurion who lived among them, who lived in their community, who may have been, this Roman may have been a, a, a convert to Judaism. And the elders, they like this man. They see he actually built a synagogue for us. The centurion is another person in this story. He was, a centurion is a Roman military officer. The word centurion is con- connected to the word century, which is connected to the term 100, which means that he was an officer, a Roman officer, that was captain over about 100, give or take, 100 soldiers. And that he and his soldiers were stationed in this town that the elders are coming from. So he was overseeing like a a group of military police. They were the police, the enforcement of the occupying powers, the, the Roman nation. They were there to ensure that there was no rebellion, that there was no insurrection, to make sure that that town was subjugated to Roman authority. And typically, these centurions and all Romans were hated by the Jews, and the feeling was mutual. But this centurion was different than most Romans. Apparently, he feared God. He embraced Judaism. He had a good relationship with these elders of that town. And then we see another person in this story The centurion had a servant. The Greek word doulos means literally a slave. He had a slave in his house that was sick. The Greek word for sick there is kakos. It means sick in the most miserable way. Really sick. Grievously ill to the point of death where a person is suffering in extreme discomfort. And so this servant of the centurion was suffering. And and his master, the Roman centurion, loved him. He loved him. And he was desperate to get him help. So these are the main characters in this story. But there's one more individual not mentioned in this story who I believe is key to this story, which brings us to verse 3 that says, when he, when the Roman centurion, heard about Jesus. The reason the centurion even knew where to turn for healing was because someone told him about Jesus. We don't know who. Was it a friend? Was it a family member? Was it another servant? We don't know, but we know that there was someone who told him about Jesus because verse 3 says, when he heard about Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. What does that mean? That means we got to tell people about Jesus. Now the centurion, we don't know the situation there. He may not have thought much about Jesus at the exact moment that someone told him. But when a crisis came, when circumstances were right, there was something in his spirit that quickened and reminded him about the name of Jesus. And that's how the Word of God works. It's like a seed. When you first plant a seed in soil, it doesn't doesn't necessarily bear fruit right away. How many understand that? right? You put a seed in there and it just kind of sits there. It takes time. And then as the seed is there in the soil, other things work together to grow that seed. The rain comes, the sun, the nutrients. Others come along and they water that seed, right? And eventually at the right time, in the right conditions, that seed starts to work, how many know that God's Word is living? It is powerful. How, how many know God's Word does not return void, that it accomplishes the purposes for which it has been set? When you tell, when we tell someone about Jesus... Understand, they may not respond right away. Their initial reaction may not be favorable, but they may shrug their shoulders. They may resist you. They may mock you. But when the seed is there, listen, all our job is is to plant seeds, amen? When the seed is there, the seed goes to work. God starts to develop the seed. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. What does that mean? You put a seed in someone, okay, they may not look like they are responding to it, but God starts to work on that seed. He sends people into their life who will also speak the name of Jesus. He brings circumstances around them. They'll hear things on social media, see things on Instagram. Someone tells them a story at work. What's happening? God is watering that seed. Hallelujah. And then when the time is right, when the conditions are right, maybe it's a need, maybe it's a a loss in their life, maybe it's a crisis, and the Holy Spirit starts to convict them and draw them, hallelujah, right? And a quickening occurs in their heart where they remember something that you said to them and they think that thought, what about Jesus? This is how it works. This is what happened to the centurion. Someone told him about Jesus and the power of that name lodged in his heart. That's what we sang this morning, right? The power of, how many believe that's not just words, right? We believe there's power in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is God incarnate who went to the cross, who defeated sin in, the, in, the, in humanity and opened the gateway to the resources of heaven. There's power in the name of Jesus. How many believe that? Hallelujah. The power of that name lodged in that centurion's heart. He, maybe he tried to forget it. Maybe he tried to dismiss it. Maybe he had no response for a while until other circumstances, other conditions were right in his life that pulled him back and the Holy Spirit started to cause that seed now to dig into the soil. Hallelujah. To get a grip on his heart, right? Amen? Amen. Right? To take root into his spirit, into his mind. Hallelujah. What am I saying? What I'm saying is simply this. You and I, we need to be that unnamed, unknown person in someone's story who tells them about Jesus. There are people around us who need to hear about Jesus. Now, we don't know what's coming in their life a week from today, a month from today, or next year. We don't know what's coming around the corner. But our job is not to worry about that. Our job is to put a seed in their heart so when that situation comes, hallelujah, there's something there that the Holy Spirit can work on to cause it to dig into the soil of their heart, begin to grip in their soul, to get lodged in their spirit to where there's a quickening in their mind. And the Holy Spirit says, remember the name of Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't be bashful with the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, look, I'm not saying that you got to preach a sermon. I'm not saying that you got to jump up on a desk. I'm not saying you got to go out on the street corner. All I'm saying is that you just need to bring the name of Jesus into your story. That's all. Just, just identify with him. Someone says, hey, how was your weekend? You say, oh, man, it was awesome. I went to church. You went to church. Oh, yeah. I follow Jesus Christ. I go to church every Sunday and worship the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Right there. Right there. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what you just did right there? You put a seed in that person's heart. They may wince a little bit. They may, oh, you, gee, you're religious. They may mock you. They may get sarcastic. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. It's too late. Everybody say, it's too late. It's too late. You already got the seed in there. Hallelujah, right? They may bristle, right? They may with, they may give you. It doesn't matter. You got the seed in there. Hallelujah. And now the Holy Spirit starts to work, bringing people into their lives, bringing conditions, circumstances, situations into their lives. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what seeds do. It disrupts things and goes to work. His name has Power, and the power of his name always makes an impact. Right? That's why you're here today. The power of that name made an impact in your life. Notice this. After those elders found Jesus, they begged him to come to the centurion's home. Verse 6 says, when Jesus heard that request, that Jesus went with them to the centurion's home. He went with them with the intention of going into this Gentile's home. Now, it was not typical for a Jew to enter the home of a Gentile. Because if they did that, then coming out of that, they would have to go through all of these ceremonies to make themselves clean again. Right? It was was a very costly thing for Jesus, according to religion, to go into the home of a centurion. But it says, verse 6, Jesus went with them. Not only was it the fact that he was a Gentile, it was the fact that he was a Roman. He was a centurion. He was the oppressor. In that culture, now think about that. In that culture, in that day, there was nothing right about this guy. Everything was wrong about this this guy. He was a slave owner, which means by today's standards, he was a racist. He was a Roman soldier which means by today's standards, he was part of the oppressors, the, the colonizers. He was, a, he was a white guy. He was a white Italian guy. <laughs> part of the privileged hegemonic powers. According to political modern narratives, everything about this guy was wrong. But Jesus... When he heard that someone was seeking him, he didn't send word back to say, Now, wait a minute, you, you slave-owning white man, you oppressor, you, you holding, you're you subjugating the victimized ethnic class. You need to renounce your, your racist xenophobic ways because I'm not coming into your house until you raise your fist against injustice. Jesus didn't do any of that. No. Jesus saw a soul that needed a savior. Let me, some, let me clarify some things about Jesus because there's a movement today in the church to rebrand Jesus into our modern day political narratives in order to make Jesus, to try to make Jesus more relevant or more woke and more palatable to our 21st century American values. There's an attempt today to try to Americanize the gospel. Now, I'm in favor of inserting Jesus into modern day discourse, but not a version of Jesus that makes him into something he is not, just so that he will be more likable and palatable to the people of this world. We must be careful that in our attempt to get the world to like Jesus, that we do not recreate Jesus in our own image, that we do not make him into something that he was not. Understand, Jesus was not an activist. Jesus was not a refugee. Jesus was not a social justice warrior. He was not a conservative activist. He was not a liberal activist. He was not a social justice activist. Jesus did not come. Now hear me. He did not come to end poverty. He did not come to free the slaves. He did not come to tear down the patriarchy. He did not come to advocate for civil rights. Jesus was not a political revolutionary who tried to pull down Roman oppression that's not why he came do you want to know why he came he tells us why he came in luke chapter 19 verse 10 when he said for this purpose the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost Stop trying to make Jesus into an activist, a social justice warrior, so that he'll be more likable by the world. Jesus' concern, his primary concern, and our primary concern, is preaching the gospel to lost souls. That's what Jesus came for. He came to save souls that were lost under the wrath of God because of the sinful nature that they have, Jesus saw that every person, man, woman, and child, had the sentence of eternal death upon them. And he came to offer his body as a sacrifice for their sin so that there could be cleansing and forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to the God who loves them. That's why he came. So let's be careful about how we rebrand Jesus to make him more marketable. Are you hearing me? Because if that narrative does not include the fact that we are all sinners lost to an eternal hell who need a savior to save us from the wrath of God, then what you're preaching, what you're delivering, what you're marketing is not the Jesus of Scripture. Now does that mean that We shouldn't care about politics. No, politics matter because politics affects policy and policy affects people. Amen? So, yeah, we can be concerned about politics. We can get involved in politics, but we can do that without making Jesus into some kind of political activist who takes the side of our issues without trying to imprint our values on him. Jesus had one mission. One message, one focus. Mankind is eternally lost under the wrath of God and needs a Savior. Hello? Now, I'm sorry if that... Well, I'm not sorry. If that bothers you, I don't know what to tell you. Because, my listen, my job as a pastor is not to comfort you with a fake made-up Jesus that fits your, po- your particular political suasion, uh, persuasion. My job as a pastor is to rightly divide the word of God and to help the people of the church that I pastor be able to discern. And discernment is not just being able to tell the difference between right and wrong. It's being able to tell the difference between right and almost right. Hello? And today that's our problem. We're getting caught up in almost. Well, it's close enough. Well, look, don't get so dogmatic and narrow-minded. Listen, the truth is dogmatic. The truth is narrow-minded. And if we're going to win this world, I know we're hearing about revival, but you know what? If we're going to have revival and we're going to win this world to Jesus, it must be by presenting the true gospel and the true Jesus, the way that God gave it to us in in his word not something that just makes people comfortable and feel good. Hello? Amen? What we also see in this story is that Jesus did not categorize people based on racial or ethnic stereotypes. He didn't discriminate based on who was the oppressor, the colonizer, or the Roman, or the Jew. Galatians 3:28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It did not matter to Jesus that this Roman centurion was a white-skinned Italian cis male, so to speak. Who was part of the colonizing patriarching hegemony. Didn't matter to Jesus, which means he does not care if you are black or white, or brown, or Asian, or Indian, or Mexican, or American, or Roman centurion. All he cared about was this, that man is a soul, a lost soul, a soul that was calling out to him. Now, there were issues this centurion needed to deal with, sure. I'm not denying that, but you got to let the Holy Spirit work those things out in people. Amen? Because listen, as soon as you open your life and you invite Jesus in, he starts to go to work on the house. Amen? He starts to sort through all the junk in your closets. He starts to move the furniture around where he wants it, right? Amen? He starts to turn on the lights and say, that shouldn't be here and that should be over there. We need to get some of that in here. Amen? Got to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Yes? And yes, absolutely, there are behaviors that cannot coincide with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hello? That's why we have the Word of God to speak into us. That's why we have churches to disciple. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to convict, because He wants to remove those behaviors that are out of alignment with His created will for mankind and our lives, and conform us to the image of Christ. Amen? So Jesus will deal with that stuff. Everybody say, Jesus will deal with it. Okay? Let Jesus be Jesus. Amen? Our job is to love people, pray for people, speak the name of Jesus into people's lives. Amen? Plant seeds in people and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Amen? And then in verse 6, it says that Jesus went with him, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Now look at this. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. It's interesting that this Roman centurion says, I am not worthy, don't come into my house. Because that statement informs what we need to understand about the next statement in verse 7, where he says, You don't need to come to my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Then he qualifies, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. What is this centurion doing? What is he saying? He is confessing his faith. He is affirming his understanding. Now get this, his understanding of who Jesus truly is. Which provokes Jesus to respond in verse 9. He says when he heard these things, he marveled at him. He was amazed at him. Now let me let me explain this. Jesus' amazement was not directed at the centurion's belief that he could heal. He was amazed, Jesus was amazed that the centurion said, just say the word. He was amazed because that acknowledgement showed Jesus that the centurion understood exactly who he was. Hallelujah. He understood about rank, authority, and power. And the centurion knew, if you are God, if you are really God, you don't need to come into my house and physically touch anybody. If you are God, then you can just speak the word and the authority that you have as God will cause my servant to be healed. That's the power of what the centurion was saying. Not just that he was believing Jesus could heal from a distance, but that Jesus was who he said he was, God incarnate, hallelujah, who had the power to work miracles from anywhere in the world. Hallelujah. That's what amazed Jesus. That this Roman, this Gentile, understood what none of the Pharisees None of the elders of the synagogues, even many of his followers, followers, even his disciples, things that they could not connect the dots on, things that they could not understand. They knew that he was a healer. They knew that he was a rabbi. They understood these things. But this Roman, this unclean Gentile, understood that Jesus is God incarnate with all authority under his domain? This is why Jesus was amazed. And this is the faith that amazes him. Not the faith that just sees him in terms of what we need him to do for us. Or what we want him to be. Or what he can provide to our lives. The kind of faith that amazes him is the faith that sees him and worships him simply because of who he is. That Lord, before I'm Before I'm going to ask you to be my healer or to be my deliverer or my provider, Lord, I just want to acknowledge that you are God and that you have all authority in my life and that you are sovereign over my life and whatever you command in my life, I am going to submit to. Hallelujah. You are God and that's the faith that amazes Jesus. And then in verse 10, it says, Those who were sent returned to the house. They found the servant well who had been sick. Just a testimony to the fact that Jesus is God. That he does have all authority. And he does have all. That's what this story is about. It's not just about Jesus the healer. It's about Jesus, God incarnate who has all authority. And the fact that a Roman, somebody that had everything wrong about him according to the culture, understood who Jesus was. And Jesus responded to him. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let me invite the worship team to join me up here. Now, listen, I'm not going to promise anyone here that every time you pray, you'll be healed. That every time you ask, you're going to receive. Because we understand that all of our praying and all of our asking is set behind the greater backdrop of God's sovereignty over our lives. Amen? Everything we ask God to do, we say, God, I'm asking you to do this, Lord, but I understand that you are sovereign over my life. Amen? That's the faith that amazes Jesus. Yes, God, I need provision. Yes, God, I need the prodigals to come home. Yes, God, I need you to turn things around right now. But Lord, all of my asking, all of my believing, all, of, all that I want you to do, Lord, it's all, it's all set within the greater context of your sovereignty and divine will over my life because you are God. And what you say goes. What you say goes. That's worship. Amen? You know, I love singing worship songs that declare who Jesus, you know, what Jesus can do for us and what Jesus has done for us. I love those songs, you know, and we see that all throughout the book of Psalms. But sometimes we just need to sing those songs and say, Jesus, I'm not worshiping you because you're my healer or my provider. I'm just worshiping you because you're you, because of who you are. You are God in my life. Amen? You're Lord over my life. You're sovereign over my Come on, let's stand together. You're sovereign over my life. And whatever you want, Lord, I want you to do this or that. But whatever you do, Lord, I'm still going to worship you. Wow, that's, that's a hard place to get to. That whatever you do, whatever happens, even though I don't understand it, Lord, I'm going to worship you. Because what you say goes. Your word has power and authority over my life. I'm going to close this morning by doing that, by worshiping the Lord at that level. Come on, let's amaze God with our faith today. Right? Not worship that's conditioned on us getting what we want, but worship that is simply conditioned on who he is, and he is God.